Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the show. This is the Brown Vegan Podcast. I'm Monique, and I enjoy interviewing guests about veganism, overall wellness, and vegan entrepreneurship. This is truly a lifestyle podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please take a moment and leave a review to help others find us. You can leave a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Also, come hang out with me on YouTube. I'm Brown Vegan over there for recipes and vegan tips. And as always, you can get the show notes and everything we mentioned in this episode at brownvegan.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So, Brenda and Nigel, I'm glad y'all on the show. I'm glad that we're doing this all together because I know for a while it was just going to be me and Nigel doing it. So I'm glad that all of us will be on here chit-chatting, learning more about your experience as far as being vegans and also Vegan Soul Fest, which is, I'm telling y'all, y'all have something really, 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 really special here. So I just want to dive into all of it. So to kind of keep, I'm not really used to doing uh, three, having two people doing conversations. So I just want to make sure that it flows nicely. So Naja, introduce yourself so that people can get a vibe for the voices so that we can go ahead and move forward. Oh, sure. Naja Wright-Brown, I co-own the Land of Kush, the award-winning, multi-award-winning Land of Kush vegan hey. show in Baltimore. I'm also the executive director of Black Vet Society and um, host of Naja Speaks. Yes, your your um video you have a, it's a podcast right because I know you do it on video. live live yeah it's a live yeah on live and Brenda Sanders tell us a little bit about you yes yeah, so I am exec well founder and executive director of Afro Vegan Society as well as of course co founder of uh, the Vegan Soul Fest and now at Vegan Soul Fest, uh, just launched a plant-based food brand called Plant Bliss. So that's a really exciting project. I've done a lot of other stuff um, over the years, but the pandemic kind of put the brakes on some of the other community-based work that was being done. So right now that is the vibe. It's like, you know, the virtual stuff through Afro-Vegan Society and the food brand. How did y'all meet? Uh, well, Naja has this story down, so I'm going <laughs> to go ahead and let her tell it. Well, when Land of Kush first opened up in 2011, we hosted uh, happy hours, like like five to eight type of deal, five to nine type, type of deal. And it was a social uh, community networking type of event in the, in, in the store. Our store is small, seats about 20 something. So we used to take the tables and the, the chairs out and just put the tables in and we could you know cram about 60 people in a store. And uh, that's how I met Brenda. I think Brenda was out there. She was trying to network and, and, and meet people. And so that was the thing. We connected. Uh, she wanted to order some uh, Land of Kush for a conference she was planning one year in October. I think it was October 2014. She was trying to do a conference. So we sat down and met. And then we engaged in a conversation about VegFest and what was lacking in some of the VegFest, the culturalism and, you know, seeing our demographic out there. And um, I know I'm, I'm one that, you know, I don't like to talk about a lot of stuff. I like to just, you know, execute. So it was kind of like 
we agreed, let's stop talking about it and let's be about it. And so her conference didn't happen. It became uh, the first annual Vegan Soul Fest, October 25th and 2014. So that's kind of how we started our relationship and our, our partnership. So we didn't know each other. I just met her from the social uh, networking Atlanta Kush and, you know, our first partnership. And I, I, I tell her, I tell her today, like, I don't really, you know, do this with people I don't know, but, you know, she had an energy, a vibe. I'm like, it's just do this. Let's do this. Y'all <laughs> are both go-getters, though. I will say, like, I, I feel like Brenda, man, we, I've met Brenda before, Nigel. How did we meet Brenda? Was it online, right? Back in, what, yeah. 2015, 2016? Yeah, 2016, I think. And um, that was right around the time that my team and I were trying to get a space because up until that point, all of the programming that was being done in terms of like the workshops, the classes and, and things like that were just wherever we could have it. Right. And so if it was a church basement, if it was a community center, one time it was somebody's house. I mean, you know, like wherever we could spread this information to the people, right. To the community about healthy eating, about, you know, lifestyle change and that kind of thing is where we were going to show up. But I also realized that we needed to have a base of operations. And so around the time that we were getting the community center, which was called Thrive Baltimore, and trying to connect with people who were already doing this amazing work, um, you know, cooking demos and and talks and, and classes and things like that, I was just trying to reach out and connect with everybody who was doing great work and you certainly have been so thank that you was the start. yes I just I just oh my god I love everything that y'all do I remember because you know I live in Virginia I would drive all the way to thrive Baltimore to go to to y'all events doing incredible work for the community for sure why did you decide to become a um, vegan Brenda well I was on a sort of a journey a search you know, to find myself. And at the time, I actually was around some black folks who were vegan, which is not a story that many people tell, um, although it is a big story. You know, I was introduced to veganism from all black people, which is contrary to what most people think about veganism, because they're like, oh, that's a white thing, you know, but it wasn't like it. This was people who had gone vegan in the 60s, you know, during the black power movement. And they, you know, had opened health food stores and vegan restaurants down towards D.C. And these were the folks who introduced me to veganism. And so it was kind of a, you know, more of a sacred body, you know, your body is a temple kind of, kind of a more self introspection and, and more of a spiritual vibe at the time. And then it just kind of evolved from there. I mean, the person I am as a vegan now is not anywhere <laughs> in any way like the person I was, you know, when I was 19 years old, mm -hmm. right? And I've just like grown into this veganism, but that's how it started for me. Yeah. What about you, Nigel? Uh, mine was, I would say, health. When I came to Maryland in 2005 uh, through company relocation, I, uh, you know, you got to find your doctor, your new doctor. I'm coming from uh, New Jersey down to Maryland. So I got to get a new doctor, new dentist and all that stuff. So I had to get a physical. And during the physical, uh, I was, it was discovered I had high cholesterol. I think it was like 249 or something like that. And, um, and then I was 33. And the doctor said, well, if you don't do something about it, then you're going to have to be placed on meds. And I'm holistic. I don't 
take meds. Uh, I'm a boron person and a health concerns person, and I'm into the traditional Chinese medicine and herbs. So <laughs> that wasn't an option, any prescription drugs. So I was learning about how to take garlic pills and, you know, eating things with zero cholesterol, you know, and um, then I met my husband, Gregory Brown. He wasn't my husband then, but we worked for the same company and we were on the same management team and um, he had his locks and he was just a different type of dude and he would bring in his own lunch. And so because we were in the same management team, I got to, you know, learn more about him and speak to him about what he was doing, what his lifestyle was. And <laughs> he was vegan. So to Brenda's point, yeah, I got introduced to the lifestyle through a black person. <laughs> that was vegan. So um, he would bring all these lunches to, to work and he would have me try all these lunches. And uh, it was really good. He had different sauces, different uh, types of tofu, and different vegetables. And um, then he told me about his dream of opening up a restaurant. And see, coming from New Jersey, New York, I was a nightclub promoter, comedy show producer. I was always in the mix. So I said, I don't know about food service. I've never worked in food service in my life, but if you're passionate about something, we can get this going. And then Delana Kush, you know, just started emerging on the scene and nobody really knew what was happening. We were just showing up at festivals and Afram uh, took us in for three days. We were the only vegan vendor there and we sell out for three days straight. So I really started getting into the lifestyle and learning. Now I didn't turn vegan over my, uh, overnight, it took me three years because I was a big seafood person. So, but I, I began to learn about the foods and, and, and taking things out and uh, substituting things. So that was my um, progression into veganism. It took about three years. Look at you falling in love over food. I love this. <laughs> food and community for sure. So I want to know, because I always want to know like people's history as far as how they uh, ate growing up and how some of that may have affected decisions to become vegan later in life or a decision to do that. So for you, Nyjah, being that you grew up in, you know, New York, New Jersey, the New Jersey scene or, or just New York, how was your upbringing when it comes to food? Did you even know veganism was the option? I know that of course your husband was like the main introduction to that, but when you were younger, did you ever encounter anybody else like that? Well, I grew up in the, the New York City housing project in the South Bronx. So a lot of the food that we ate were the box, canned food, you know, high salt, lots of sugar, Kool-Aid. So if you can just imagine the quarter waters, that's the type of stuff I was consuming as a kid. But at age six, my mother sent me to camp, uh, summer camp in the Berkshires of Massachusetts and the family there would eat from the garden. So that would be my first introduction is picking string beans and picking strawberries, eating baked bread, you know, everything fresh from the garden, even to, to the farming, you know, we won't get into that, but they would get all their stuff from the farm, whether it was the eggs or the milks, things like that. So that was my introduction to farm to table type of eating. And when I used to go back home from camp, I used to cry because <laughs> I noticed the difference in the interaction and the engagement of getting your food compared to going back home. And it's like, okay, there's, there's no engagement. You just, you know, here's your cereal with, with your milk, you know, here's the, you know, spam or whatever it was that we was eating that corn. What is it? Um, I, I forgot. It was a corn meal or whatever it was that we was eating. So that there was no intention. So you didn't like that. There was no intention, no, no real thought that went into the meals. Right, exactly. And, and also, I'm sure it's because of what your family could afford, too. 
Exactly, exactly. We were low income on public assistance, so <laughs> that's how we got our food. I mean, I went. We weren't in the food desert. I can tell you that we we had uh, supermarkets that we could walk to. I used to walk up the block to the local supermarket. So that that's one thing that. I would say in our neighborhood, we did have supermarkets, you know, whether they had the freshest produce uh, or not, you know, that's a different, you know, story. They may be not the freshest, but there was some produce in there. But, um, you know, we were just able to walk to the store to get get what we needed and, and come back down. But it wasn't the freshest and it wasn't an engagement and picking vegetables and making a fresh salad and putting it on the table or helping to make bread. You know, that all was an experience. So I, lo- I look forward to that every summer to go out there and experience that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about you, Brenda? Did you grow up in Baltimore? I never, I don't know if I ever knew that about you. Did you, did you grow up there? Yes, born and raised in Baltimore in the housing projects, pretty similar to Naja's story, except it was definitely what would later come to be defined as a food desert. You know, no access to grocery stores anywhere. I mean, with with the food desert, I think that the the definition is that within a one mile radius, but it was like, we had to catch two buses to get to, it would take an hour to get to Lexington market, which was the closest place where you could get fresh food. But other than that, we just bought what was either at the convenience store or just like the corner store, which would all be packaged, all of it, everything from, you know, canned meat, you know, spam, scrabble, pig's feet, you know, just like what you would consider to be like in this day and time to be like, you know, some of the worst of the animal products, right? Mm-hmm. But that was just food, right? The, the 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 saltine crackers and sardines, you know what I mean? Like that was what we would eat because that was A, what was there, right? And also mm-hmm. B, what could we could afford. Um, and so that was, you know, the accessibility and the affordability were were two issues that were affecting everybody in Cherry Hill where I grew up which was actually right across the bridge from where we held vegan soul fest oh wow you know south baltimore it just wasn't you know the there wasn't education around healthy eating or around eating <laughs> you know and and certainly there wasn't access to anything that would be considered uh, nutritious or healthy. And so that's what I grew up eating. You know, the people around us, you know, in the housing project, they there were just certain things that happened at a certain age. You know, so sometime around like 40, you would have high blood pressure. Sometime around like, you know, 45, 50, the diabetes or the pre-diabetes, you know, by 55, you had had your first heart attack, you know, 60, you might have a limb cut off because of the diabetes. So it was just, that was normal. That wasn't like weird or rare. You would see people, you know, rolling around in, in wheelchairs because they had their limbs cut off. And so, you know, finding out that this wasn't normal and that it was preventable and that there was a whole other world out there was kind of a culture shock for me. Yeah, that's I see now um, hearing your story, why you guys are so involved in like the grassroots efforts as far as your activism, how you want to really just be out in the community. So this is just so important. I, I see that for you guys and then why you started it. So y'all got to tell me more about um, Black Veg Society and Afro-Vegan Society. Like, how are things going these days? I know that the pandemic, like you guys mentioned, 
probably sidetrack some of your projects and just other ventures that you were working on. But what's going on now? Like, are you are you guys still virtual with a lot of your efforts or are you starting to go back outside? Well, with Black Vest Society, you know, the Black Vest Society is a collection of uh, experts in the community. And um, a lot of our stuff is on the ground. So tabling, events. We also co-produce Maryland Vegan Restaurant Month during the pandemic. And then, you know, Vegan Soul Fest. But during the pandemic, obviously, we couldn't do the festival, but we still did Maryland Vegan Restaurant Month, which is more of the business-to-business concept because restaurants have access to the people. And all we ask is you add a plant-based option to your menu and we're going to promote the heck out of your business so we can get the people there. So we still did that throughout the pandemic um, because one thing people were doing was eating. Everybody was eating during the pandemic. So we took that opportunity and got major funding around that and just pushed that to the point where it became an entire month during the pandemic. So what started as a week became two weeks and then became an entire month. And all that happened during the pandemic. Um, we also uh, launched a series called Food, Food as Medicine to teach people how they can use food as medicine. Show uh, uh, Tony St. Clair ran that series uh, through Black Vest Society and people learned how to eat better, you know, because you're thinking about your, your, your immune system, how to build it out, how to make it stronger, how to boost your mood, what type of foods to eat to do that. So we ran um, some series during the pandemic uh, around the food as medicine. We also were launching um, like a Keep It Fresh Fest, which was a smaller scale of vegan soul fest, more catered to the children. Uh, Again, because of the pandemic, we couldn't really push the agenda on that. But um, as the uh, city was opening up, we did some luncheons. You know, we merged like our musical Meatless Monday in May with that. You know, so we were trying a few things as the city was starting to open open up and allowing people to come out. I'm definitely an outdoor person virtual stuff, you know, I can do but so much of it. I mean, I think at this point, the only virtual thing that I do right now is not just speaks and I still have to be outside sometimes on site uh, doing that. So that's where we're at. We got some new stuff coming up, you know, this this year that we're working on. Um, and uh, yeah, so just, just having and building the organization, really looking at the youth. So we have a youth steering committee. We're in partnership with Friends of the Earth, who has a coalition. We're pushing a bill to get more plant-based options on uh, school menus and hospitals and jails. So we do a lot of uh, coalition uh, work for you know organizations. And right now we got two youth mentees that are working with us at Black Vest Society doing uh, interviews and you know getting them to learn uh, the StreamYard platform so they can start interviewing people, interviewing youths. So that's one of the things that we're working on with Black Vest Society right now. Yeah. What's going on with you, Brenda, with um, Afro-Vegan Society? So I think I'm just going to say that one of the best things that could have happened in terms of the direction of Afro Vegan Society is that we were forced to go virtual because it wasn't really a direction that I knew anything about. I ended up having team members, staff that know a lot about it. So that is great because I don't, I at the time didn't know much of anything about how to communicate with people, how to reach large groups of people. 
you know, through the virtual platform. But luckily, folks on the team um, had already been doing that. And so it was sort of a seamless transition. And what ended up happening was that we were able to exponentially increase the number of people that we had been reaching once we were virtual. And we were like, oh, <laughs> wow. Like, I mean, <laughs> right. It, it seems like kind of a no brainer. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of people on the internet, but I guess I had just not prior to the pandemic, I hadn't really considered doing national work. And, and that's exactly what's happened. And so it's like, we're, we're not going to actually go back to doing community-based work because first and foremost, there are people you know, now all over who are doing community-based work. And that, that I mean, I'm not going to say that Vegan Soul Fast and the work that Naja and I have been doing is a direct, <laughs> that it, you know, it's directly connected to all the work around the country that's now being done. I'm just saying maybe it's a coincidence and I, I don't know, but, you know, there <laughs> there's been some people who have been out here, you know, working hard, doing, you know, creative, amazing work. And now there are a lot of people all over the country yes. that Afro-Being Society has connected with that are doing just that. And so at this point, we are working on, okay, how do we connect nationally with all the other people who are doing this work on the ground? How do we get them resources? How do we, you know, build a resource library? You know, how do we just make sure that there's a direction for all of this national work? And that's kind of been posed to us because we've been at the forefront of a lot of this stuff. Like, hey, Afro-Vegan Society, how about you create, you know, a framework, you know, through which we can organize and, and, and move forward with a vision for, you know, Black vegan, Black veganism, you know what I mean? And so that's the the direction that, that we've started going in and, and people seem really, people in the philanthropic community seem very, very excited about that. And I'm really excited about it. It's new territory, mm-hmm. but I'm very excited about it because, you know, it's like black folks, we do this work on the ground. We work hard. We, you know, sometimes work ourselves into a hole (laughs) and there's never a, any continuity between all the different work. So I was realizing like everybody is sort of spinning in their own solar system. Right. And so people up in Detroit are doing this and people in Atlanta are doing that. And people in Chicago are doing this. And then on the East coast, you got people, you know, in North Carolina and up in Boston. And it's just like, there needs to be some cohesion. Mm-hmm. And that's how we're able to get momentum and create like a strong uh, movement. And yeah. so that, that work needs to happen. And, and that's the track that Afro Vegan Society is on. I love this. Oh, man, y'all are doing incredible work. The impact is just next level. It really, really is. So I'm just so excited, so proud of y'all for just all of the efforts over the years. And it's just going to get better going forward. It's just definitely going to get better. Y'all have to tell me, though, what has what do people who live in food deserts, as you know, as you've been out in the community, you've done so much work. What are some what's advice that what's some advice that you have, Nyjah, for people who live in communities where they don't have the access to the food that they deserve? You know, like what what do you suggest? Because a lot of times, like we've talked about, it's a lack of resources, you know, um, financially. You can't take a lot of people can't take two buses. 
they're busy. They, a lot of times are working multiple jobs. What are some suggestions as far as just incorporating better, um, healthier options into their diets? The one thing I have been seeing in the city and what the recommendations have been coming through is growing your own food, adopting a lot. But you mentioned something about time. A lot of people don't have time, you know, to grow your own food. You know, the traditional way in the ground may not be the best way for for everyone. So maybe looking at hydroponics, uh, you know, something in in your house. I think there should be... um, initiatives or grants available for people to do that, you know, just growing something in your home. It's, it's, it's really, you know, for me, it's, it's still a question mark. How do you, how do you effectively do that when people are working two jobs to take care of your family? It's a time thing. You know, it's easy to say, grow your, I'm not growing my own food. It's a time thing, you know? So, you know, I'm lucky to have a, a, a restaurant, but when I look at the work that people are putting into the gardens, I'm like, wow, this is, this is intense. How can people, people do that? I don't, I don't have the answer. I mean, I don't know. Brenda may have a better answer than me. I will, I will say that I have some answers. I would, I would say that nobody has the answer, which is why. It's so important that folks from different areas really connect with each other, share ideas, you know, and and start to build coalitions and networks. Because here in Baltimore, as Naja knows, there's like lots of, or as, as Naja was saying, there are lots of folks who are starting community gardens and even community farms. And that's really important because that is their focus, right? And so maybe if somebody has two jobs, my mom sometimes had three jobs, you know, she wasn't growing nothing. <laughs> and that's okay. just the bottom line. She I wasn't going to grow nothing. There was no yeah. time. There was no expertise. There was no knowledge. Right. So, but what she could have done was to go over to, if this existed, she could have gone over to one of these community gardens or community farms and joined a CSA where you pay a little bit of money every month or whatever, or for the year, and then you get whatever food is harvested. And, you know, these these gardens and, and farms do have programs like that. Yes. And then I think that it also comes down to, so what Afro-Vegan Society focuses on is three main areas, education, resources, and support. And so, you know, the education has to come first. So people people don't know what they don't know. Right. And so once they know, and that's what I've been noticing in my work, once they know, then they can start to think about, okay, how can I integrate this into my life? You know, I, I personally didn't know that there was any way to get protein without eating uh, animal products. I didn't know. Nobody taught me that. Nobody taught my mother that. Right. And so as we start to Uh, share this information with people through the resources that we have, like tons and tons of online resources, you know, videos and happy hours where people cook with us and, you know, cooking demos that are pre-recorded and just little info. I mean, we have guides, you know, like the the holiday cooking recipe guide or, you know, the egg-free recipe guide. All of these are online resources that Afro-Vegan Society created. So that's why we want to make sure if somebody knows that they need it, they have a place to go to find it. You know, Absolutely. but they have to know first. So, I mean, there there are things, and I and I think that as we talk with each other more, the folks who are out here doing this work, as we talk with each other more, 
um, we will be able to come up with the kinds of solutions that that you are asking about. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's a, you make a very, very good point about the education, because if you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And I felt the same way. I never thought that you can get protein outside of animal products before I was a vegan. Um, and I know that's a hot topic for a lot of people. And so given that information, it just and that goes back to what you were saying as far as making an impact online and, and really just connecting with people all over the world. That's how they become aware. And then they'll figure out a solution that works best for their particular situation. So I love that you said that. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yep. So I want to get into uh, Vegan Soul Fest because it is absolutely my favorite fest. It really, really is. And I remember going to the first one in 2014 and y'all couldn't tell me nothing. I was just like, this is black NECA of amazing. I mean, so many black, beautiful people were eating up all the food. And I, I think at that time it was at the community college, right? Not yet. No, no, no. Okay, I think so maybe I went to the second one. Not the, yeah, you went to the second one. Yeah. What was the first one? The first one it was in uh, October, so it wasn't in the August uh, month. It was in October. That was the first one, uh, and it was at Downtown Cultural Arts Center. We were in a two-story building that we had to actually expand around the block because so many people signed up to vend that uh, our two stories wasn't enough to accommodate all the vendors. So um, I did yeah. go to that one. You I did. do remember. Yes, <laughs> I did. I still have pictures of my kids in front of that building. Okay. I didn't realize that was the first one. I think the reason why I remember the second one is because I feel like that's when I really felt like y'all got into our stride. Like y'all knew this was going to be something huge. Okay. <laughs> when you got into the second one. So y'all have to tell me what made you decide? I feel like I already know, but for the people what made you decide that, okay, we have to really do a vegan soul fest. Like we have to put our mark in this, in this uh, festival, because, you know, as y'all know, there's a million festivals around. I know at one point DC veg fest was like the only, the big one in this area. So what made you decide or made y'all decide that this is going to be the next step? You know, I think we're just both very driven and very, much go-getters you know yeah, like Naja yeah. <laughs> was gonna do it you know what I mean I was gonna <laughs> do it it's not even a question you know it's it's not it's not about like deciding it's just like Naja puts her all into everything she does I put my all into everything I do and that's just how it was gonna turn out now like everything wasn't perfect any of the years okay we could tell stories Brenda year two felt perfect though I ain't gonna lie it felt perfect it might have felt that way to the people who weren't running around putting out little fires here and there (laughs) Naja what do you think I mean, it needed to happen. It, we, we, we set out to solve a problem and we did, and we knew nothing about creating festivals and again, education, education, and we're still educating ourselves around uh, festival uh, management. And um, now it being a ticketed event, because for the first, what is it, uh, few years before the pandemic, 
it was a free event. So we was just growing the event through just free exposure and people just coming out and, you know, trying good food. And it was a party, you know, so we spent That's three years at the college and then we outgrew the college. I remember looking out one year and I'm like, golly, look at all those cars. It was just crazy because you never get up for breath. And that one, one time I looked up and I'm like, wow, it's a lot of people here. So we went to the public park and did that for a couple of years. And then finally decided we wanted to get a headliner in the first headliner we we booked was Maya and that year was the biggest year uh in numbers yes. came out and we had a hundred people do a meet and greet uh with Maya so it was all online doing yes. that so and then um the following year uh you know we, we we felt we needed to change venues you know there was just some challenges with the venue that we had and that was 2019 so you know after that and then you know that was the year what was it that year no I think 29 2018 there was a lot of people coming out with the new products. I think the Floody Vegan uh, did 2018 with us. And then, you know, next year she blew up. But um, in 2019, we knew we was moving venues at some point, but then the pandemic hit. So that gave us a couple of years to figure out what we was going to come back with next. Now, we've always talked about VIP, trying to get a VIP established with the, the festival and um, when we came back, we did. So last year, uh, and I guess Brendan can tell this story about the event management company. We knew we needed that because we were exhausted. It's a lot of work. It's growing. We're still learning. And, uh, you know, we, we secured event management. And, um, you know, we wanted to turn it into a music and vegan food festival. So now, you know, we need more headliners. So we decided that we would enter into a partnership with another grassroots organization called Collectively, who's doing amazing work in raising money. I think they just raised over a million dollars this year just for Baltimore-based Black grassroots organizations. So we couldn't pick the better organization to partner with to bridge the gap between veganism, black veganism, and um, Baltimore-based grassroots organization activism. Uh, and I'll let <laughs> Brenda take it from here. I see how you do, Naja. You want, you going to have me talking about the messy stuff. No, but you know what? You know what? We got, we got to go there, though. We have to. We have to. Because it went from, like you said, a free event. And you got to tell us, before we even get into the messy stuff, <laughs> why... When it was a free event, how were you profiting? Is it through the vendors, through sponsorships, through fundraising? Like, how were you able to turn a profit? Because let's be real. we You want to make the impact. You want to have an amazing festival. But you also have to make it worth your while financially as far as being able to throw an amazing festival. But also so you can take care of your responsibilities as well. You have bills to pay. So yeah, no. how were y'all no. making money initially? I feel like y'all probably weren't. No. No, and that's the difference between people who are doing things for profit and people who are doing things for the community. And I think that people have gotten it twisted when it comes to Vegan Soul Fest and they think, oh, this is a money-making venture, never having understood that this was two Black women who came together and said, how can we help our community? A lot of people don't start from there. A lot of people start from vegan food, it's getting popular, it's expensive, so we can make money off of this. And, I, you know, more power to people for having, you know, 
that as their motivation. I don't have a problem with that. You know, I'm not speaking against it, but I am an activist through and through, right? Well, I'm becoming a business person. Naja is helping me a lot with that. You know, it's a shift. It's a big shift in mentality from this is a selfless, you know, endeavor that I'm taking on to, okay, I want to see something come back from this. But vegan soul fast pre-ticketing basically pay for itself, yeah, you know, yeah. and then anything else would go to the, the nonprofits, right? Because mm-hmm. it's a, ultimately it's a fundraiser for the nonprofits. You know, Naja and I didn't come together and say, how do we make a bunch of money? That's not us. That's not, that's not what this project was. You know, it was never like, how do we clean up on this vegan thing, you know? But, and so it was never that pre-ticketing. And then, you know, the thing that people don't, the only people who understand what it's like to, to organize a free festival is other people who've organized free festivals. They're the mm-hmm. only one. They're the only people I have ever talked to who have been like, yeah, we get it. We get what y'all go through. We go. We get how much work it is. We get how frustrating it can be. We get how hard it is, how you lose hair and your hair turns gray in the last month <laughs> before the <laughs> festival because everything's coming to a head. <laughs> Only other festival organizers who are organizing, especially free festivals, can possibly understand. And Naja and I have, you know, since we switched it to a four, uh, sorry, since we switched it to a ticketed, festival we've even had people who uh still organize free festivals come to us and be like yeah i get it and i'm really thinking about yeah yeah you know what i mean you have the resources to really make it bigger you'll have the resources to like you say right you gotta sometimes uh command money in order to make more so that you can really um make the impact that you want to so i get it i absolutely get it but y'all gotta tell me though behind the scenes of last year because after all these years of going to Soul Fest, last year was a year where I was like, where the hell is everybody? <laughs> Ooh. Where I the hell? Now, granted, look, granted, 2023, I'm like, God damn, there's a lot of people out here. But yeah. <laughs> 2022, I was like, oh, my gosh, what happened? So what happened, y'all? What happened last year? I'll, I'll take over that one because it talks about marketing. So in learning about event management companies and, and, and dealing with that, you get the impression that, you know, everybody's, that all of this stuff is going to be taken care of. So we did have marketing done. We had a grant uh, for marketing and we used that to market with billboards and radio. And, you know, our impression was the event management company was going to be uh, more engaged with that. And um, to the lack of our knowledge, that was not the case. It was kind of like, oh, we don't do that. We're not responsible for marketing. <laughs> okay, so you took all our money, you know, a lot of money, you know, but th- th- this is not what you do. Okay, cool. So this is late in the game with this. So we already late with it. So by the time we got to the marketing that we did, you know, it is what it is. And then the ticket prices, you know, through consultation, expert consultation in comparison to other festivals, uh, the price point was sold to us where we were kind of reluctant, but it's like, well, you got to pay your bills. And if you don't have this price point, then, you know, you're not going to be able to pay your bills. But we always thought like, hey, if we just cut that in half, we would probably get enough people you know, to, to buy the ticket. So it was a little, you know, debate. And to this day, we kind of like, 
you know, regret agreeing to that decision of selling these high price tickets. Yes. How much were they for the people who don't know? Um, I think it was like $89 for one day. And then there were some VIP packages uh, that was sold, you know, for some higher prices. But I think that price point that sticks in everybody's head is $90 for one day. And we had 50% off coupons that we were, you know, sending through our list. And I remember Brenda giving out 500 free tickets or 1000 free tickets, you know, for people to come and we did have ticket giveaways, but none of that really helped. I think our turnout was probably around 2000 people if that over three-day weekend. And that's another thing we discovered. Three days was just way too much. And we cut that out immediately, you know, when we were done with the fest. Like, we're not doing Friday. We're not, there's no three days anymore because it was just too much, too much work, too much of a cost to it. And um, that was the first thing we got rid of. And um, after the whole experience, you know, Brenda knew I was all hyped up because I'm about the numbers. And I think I'm so about the numbers that I, I probably, you know, we probably overdid it this year, but you know, the venue was able to accommodate everyone. So I don't know why people were saying that, you know, it wasn't enough room. We was in there. There was plenty of room for people to roam around. So I don't know why, why that was an issue. I think it was more so the lines and the food and people not being able to get food in a timely manner. But, um, we started up in October, late October with the marketing, and we put a lot of money behind social media marketing. Um, we contracted an outside advertising and marketing company who handled that, shot videos for us, and used those videos to market uh, throughout the region, all the way up as far as, I guess, New York, past New York, all the way down to you know the Carolinas. And that's how we were able to sell uh, close to 13,000 tickets, and we allowed children to come in for free. So if you're 12 and younger, you were admitted for free. Yeah. So last year, because you said the 2000 for last year, um, did you learn? Because I feel like, okay, to stop me if I'm wrong, I felt like the the mission was to kind of model like a vegan version of Broccoli Fest. That's what it felt like to me. I'm glad you said that because that was the comparative analysis that they gave us. So I don't know Broccoli Fest tickets, but I know they're a little up there. Yeah, they are. So that's what the model was, and that's what we were sold on. And it and it was dope, though, like having vegan fest. But here's the thing. What was the target audience for that, though? Because I, when in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, as a vegan, yes, I'll pay $90 for a ticket. It's worth it to me. I'm already a vegan. But somebody who is vegan curious, I don't know if they would be willing to invest that kind of money and then go in and buy food. Right. So who was and- the target audience? And that's the thing, you know, we, we would think that um, this this expert knowledge would allow us to get that information. So when we, we're learning, when we're bringing people in, they have to understand our market. A lot of people just associate vegan with just the health. And we find that in certain communities and definitely in our community, the first thing is health, health, health. It is mm-hmm. health, but you got to understand the entire market, environmentalism, some animal rights in there. Yep. and what the uh, the demographic in terms of what income levels we're trying to target, how much money people are willing to spend. Because the first thing people hear is if they're spending $45, $35 for a ticket, they want free samples. They want this. You know, it's still back to free. We want free something for this that we're putting in. Whereas you're going to a music concert, you're paying for the concert. You're not thinking about free. You know you're going to be buying merch. You know you're yep. going to be buying food. You're going to know you're going to be doing all of that type of stuff. But in this market, it's not like that people want something for their dollar yep definitely yep so okay what can i jump into that of course 
Okay, because I think there's a, a number of other factors that we're playing in. First and foremost, Naja, I don't know if y'all can hear the quotations around professional and expert, but I want oh, to hear it. Out. Okay. <laughs> I heard because, it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we were, you know, we, we've been sold on a lot of stuff that, you know, that there just wasn't the follow through and the delivery on it. And, you know, that's a learning experience for us because we decided to lean into the music more. And I, I can say for myself that I came to Naja in 2021 as we were planning the 2022 vegan soul fast and i said look we're coming out of this you know lockdown people are coming back out now you know they're trying to decide what do i want to spend my money on and i think that one of the major things that people spend money on especially in our community is music festivals right Mm -hmm. so i'm like is there a way that we can create a music and food festival that people will come out and spend money on. And so that was our main goal and our main mission with the 2022 Vegan Soul Fest is to to still have the food and then merge, you know, the more up because we always had local folks who came out and did, you know, did the the entertainment. And then of course we had Maya. But other than that, we hadn't really leaned into the music as much in terms of trying to get like you know, higher listed, like, you know, B list, A list performers to come in. And so, you know, once we talked about doing that, it sort of, it kind of set things in motion in that way. And so when you talk about a target audience, you know, my goal was to bring in more mainstream people because you know that the vegans are either going to come or they're not. Right. And for me personally, I don't, organize events for vegans because my work is to expose more people to this lifestyle right same same yep I wanted to figure out how to bring in you know more mainstream non-vegan people I didn't think that $80 $90 was the way to do that Right. So that's just point blank period. I was like, this is Baltimore. I don't know why these experts are acting like this is Hollywood or, you know what I'm saying? Like Vegas or something. This is Baltimore. Like, I don't, you know, so that, that was something that, you know, sort of, I don't know, take, took things off on a detour in terms of last year was just like, it was empty because it's Baltimore and it's the DMV. You know what I mean? <laughs> like yeah. This is, was not going to fly, especially if we don't have the A-list folks. And they're going to be like, I'm paying a lot of money to come and see, you know, performers that aren't A-listers. And I don't even know about this food. Maybe it's good. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. Know. Right. You know? <laughs> so there were a lot of ifs that were involved And so that a lot of that was resolved for this year because people knew like, oh, I talked to my friend who went, she said the food was bomb, you know, stuff like that. And so that issue wasn't there this year, but there were other issues that came in. So it's almost like, as you learn, you just keep falling down. You got to get back up. You keep falling down. You got to get back up. So that was, yeah, that was the situation. Yes. Keep getting up y'all. Keep getting up. No, so look, I got to know, though, because at first I was thinking to myself, because the ticketed event the first year didn't do as well, I was like, they probably not going to charge for 2023 because I was like, uh, they probably not. But I was glad to see that y'all did. So what made you decide to continue to make a ticketed event despite what happened last year? Because you can't have an event of that 
magnitude that large without charging. It's different. We're not getting funded. Like, first of all, it's not a small community event like we used to. We're not just allowing people to bring their own tents and we're not allowing, you know, people to bring their own tables. So you got the equipment and then you have sound, sound costs. We're not dealing with a couple of thousand dollars worth of that. This is sound. You know what I'm saying? It's premium sound. Uh, it's good staging. All of that costs, the land costs. You want to be on a waterfront, all of that costs. None of that is free to us. So everyone has to pay in. And a lot of times people are like, well, pay, charge the vendors and understand these vendors are coming locally too. They can't afford $1,500 uh, in vendor fees either. So it's, it, you know, because that's the first thing people say, well, charge the vendors $1,500. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> We've had less food vendors you know what i'm saying everybody's yeah, yeah. paying fifteen hundred dollars you know so it's and then also like, you want to support small businesses as well you want exactly. to make sure they make their money yeah exactly so i'm going off of you know well, what what would land and kush do how much will we pay you know what i'm saying so you know so it's like you have to raise all of this money to pay for all of the stuff that needs to happen at the uh, the event you need electrical contractors you need all types of stuff that we wasn't even dealing with when we was a community uh, free event. So this is stuff that we're, we're learning. We're, we're moving into a whole nother space. So we did what we did for free event uh, uh, festivals pre-pandemic. Now we're into a level of learning on this level, becoming the next biggest thing in the city of Baltimore on the levels of, you know, your, your artscapes. And, you know, now they have Charm City. Like we want to be on that level, but in the vegan scape. Yes. I love it. Y'all have it. Y'all have it. You have the it factor. Y'all have it. So y'all got to tell me though, what are you looking to do to improve for next year? Because of course this year, I mean, just to get off the bridge to get to the park was, like 45 minutes just that you know the lines were really long I know that was a concern for you guys for some of the attendees so what are some of the things that y'all plan to look what can people look forward to so that they can attend next year and have an amazing time what are some of the things that y'all are thinking about changing going forward I know it's still fresh because y'all just had the event last weekend so you may not have the full answer but what are some of the things that are coming up now oh oh we got some answers (laughs) you ain't even gotta worry about that listen we we are not having it at that venue anymore and oh, it took so a lot yeah, i know it's beautiful it's ah. beautiful but at the same time pulling in those kinds of numbers of people who are interested in having vegan food we have to have a lot more food vendors a lot more food. those lines insane one of the biggest issues and 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 let me just say first and foremost people go to a lot of places they spend a lot more money than they did at vegan soul fest and they stand in lines for food you know you go to disney world you're gonna stand in lines if you go to even you know one some of the other big music festivals or the even the big veg fests people stand in line and that's what we had people coming to us and saying to us look i just went to such and such festival the line was an hour and 45 minutes to two hours y'all don't even sweat this people know when they go to certain places it's going to be a long line do not let them discourage y'all because they had to stand in line so you know it that's one of the things that really helped me because i was just like you know reading these comments that are like the lines the lines the lines and i'm just like yeah i don't want people to have that experience but at the same time it was really interesting for me to hear that people are having this experience at other places 
having these long lines. And so it was just like, okay, well, if this is to be expected, how can we mitigate it, right? What can we do? We have to have more food vendors. In order to have more food vendors, we need more space. I'm sorry, there's just no way. That is a beautiful, beautiful waterfront um, park. But in order for us to have the number of lines that will be able, I mean, the number of food vendors that will be able to accommodate the number of people that we are pulling out for this festival, we need to have a much bigger space, much, yes. much, much bigger. So, so, okay. I know you guys sold over 13, what, what, nearly 13,000 tickets this year. So yes. where the hell would you put all these people going forward? Like what, what is a bigger space? Where is that? <laughs> Are you gonna have to go out of Baltimore? Are you gonna have to go somewhere else? Like, what? Where is this? It's possible we may have to look at places outside of Baltimore. We really don't want to do that as a Baltimore festival, but Baltimore, the infrastructure and the parking is—it's it, it, always going to be a, a, a concern and an issue. So it's just hard to say at this point. Yeah, uh, it's fresh. I know you're going to have to f- figure it all out. We are working with some people and we have people who have come to us to say we, you know, from the city, from, you know, or, you know, contractors who have worked with the city who are like, let us help you because they see the potential. They see the passion and the drive that we have. And they see the fact that people need this information. Definitely. And they're like, let me help you. There are places we just need to find the right fit for you. So even though we're exhausted and, you know, the 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 viciousness of some of the comments and things that are being said do take their toll because we are human beings right and so a lot of the stuff that's being said out there i mean i saw some stuff because i went down the rabbit hole everybody told me not to don't look at the comments oh, but girl, I, need, I know Brenda. i know but i looked i looked at the comments naja naja was smart she only took little peeks you know what i'm saying like she just oh nope i ain't looking no more i was just like scrolling at three o'clock in the morning like oh my you know what I mean people were saying they don't care about the community all they care about is money they're just you know this was just a corporate cash grab like corporate what corporate what right (laughs) but it was just like you know it it has taken a toll and so we do both need to take a little bit of space a little bit of time you know touch grass as they say and just like get ready you know just like recharge you do. And get ready to to jump back in and do this, you know, in the best possible way because we do want people to accept this information. We do want people to have the best food experience they could ever have. You know, we do want this to be a success. We just need to learn from our mistakes, you know, pick ourselves up, dust ourselves off, and get back in there. Yeah. I feel like this year, because I feel like in previous years, y'all have a lot of volunteers. Did you not have as many this year? Or what? What was the difference? Because it did, it felt like it. Am I wrong? The like volunteers it. were stressed. We had a hundred volunteers. <laughs> we had more volunteers than we've ever had at really? any other. See, and they were working. They was working. My gosh, I'm just like I want to send the volunteers on vacation because they wow. were working. You ain't see them because they was hustling. Yeah. <laughs> was hustling. <laughs> Really, really. Wow. It's, it's, it's not, you know, we've, we've entered into a different plane of um, this, this festival. It's on another level. Um, and it's great to have the volunteers. Shout out to all the hard work that they do. Uh, we really need uh, manpower, like people that, that can come in, you know, people power 
is going to come in and take this uh, and have the, the expertise and know-how to efficiently and effectively manage, bringing in the crowd, laying out the festival the way it needs to be laid out so everybody is comfortable addressing, you know, any potential public safety issues that um, can arise. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to take a lot, a lot of, um, you know, teamwork and collaborative efforts and bringing in on the right people to grow this because I can easily see us getting to 20,000 the next time we, we, we come out. Absolutely. I can too. And I'm looking forward to it. I love y'all. Y'all are doing incredible work for the community. This is the kind of impact and the activism that is so necessary for us. I love how you guys are making um, a festival that is, you know, have music base, food, culture, love. It's always good vibes. It, even though, even when I was going through the crowd and we was bumping into people <laughs> and they're in the lines, not necessarily just walking through, but just trying to get through the lines. Everybody was real gracious, like, yeah, you know, no problem. How you doing? Having conversations. It was hot, but we still, we vibed, we vibed. And I really, really appreciate all of the work that y'all do. Tell us how we can support y'all going forward. Come back to the next vegan sofa. <laughs> I tell you what. Share your experience on social media, like share or post your uh, your videos, tag vegan sofas, you know, talk about how beautiful the experience was. Because one thing when people hate stuff, they're gonna post it immediate. Yeah. Immediately. A lot of times when we love stuff, oh I gotta give me some time. And it's like love no, is delayed, ain't it? Now. You know what love I'm saying? Is nah. delayed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard people say that, oh yeah, I'm gonna get to it. I'm like, no, we need it now. <laughs> yeah. I'm telling y'all, as my listeners, I know I have listeners from all over the country. Country, y'all show some love give them another chance even if you went this year and you weren't able to get food because i'm telling you i got a couple of dms to people i didn't get food the lines were too long give them another chance they're going to make it right i feel like over the years it just continues to get better and the growing pains is necessary and i feel like sometimes we don't give enough grace to our people you know we give grace to everybody but ourselves so absolutely absolutely so yes show them some love come back and i'll make sure hopefully y'all have me come back too i love y'all Absolutely. You are our people. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to know how you're cooking them a win. I wanted some of that food. <laughs> well, you look, look, we ain't going to get into we all that. Gonna, we ain't going to talk about that right now. See? Okay. <laughs> you ain't tell her, Brenda. <laughs> look I here. <laughs> we, still, we still haven't had our debrief. That's how wild yeah, this whole thing has been. Yeah, we haven't yeah. even had a chance to have our debrief. Matter of fact, we're going to have it after talking to you. So that's... Yes. That's oh, okay. the wildest thing. Cool. <laughs> I appreciate y'all so much for being on the show, sharing your experience. And I ain't going to lie. When I left, when I was going home, you know, sitting in traffic because the traffic was crazy coming back from Baltimore, as it is every weekend in traffic in general. And I was like, man, I would love to do something like this for Virginia. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, it'll be a, I don't know. I just, it just made me think about it. I was like, it's, it's people here. We don't have anything like that. In, in Virginia, at least I don't, I might be wrong. I'm probably wrong, but definitely not in like the Fredericksburg, Stafford area. And I was like, uh, maybe I should talk to them and see about doing it, you know, on a smaller scale. But it's, it, I just been thinking about it ever since. So I just want to say that y'all have inspired me and I'm just looking forward to continue to grow. Yeah, continue yes. to grow, y'all. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks, and to, Of course, Vegan Soul Fest is a website, right? Yeah, and follow y'all. I'm gonna put links to y'all so they can follow y'all on social media as well. And I appreciate y'all being on the show. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.